You're listening to a podcast presented by Providencia West Palm Beach, a church that exists for the flourishing of all people located in the city center of West Palm Beach, Florida. Our hope is to love our city, listen to your story, and practice the grace of God. We hope you enjoy this content. If you haven't already, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a review. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy the episode. Our scripture reading tonight comes from Psalm 18, verses 1 through 9. I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I have been saved from my enemies. The cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. The earth trembled and quaked, and the foundations of the mountains shook. They trembled because he was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils, consuming fire came from his mouth, burning coals blazed out of it. He parted the heavens and came down, dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, and the dark rain clouds of the sky. Out of the brightness of his presence, clouds advanced with hailstones and bolts of lightning. The Lord thundered from heaven, the voice of the Most High resounded. My shots his arrows and scattered the enemy with great bolts of lightning, he routed them. The valleys of the sea were exposed and the foundations of the earth laid bare at your rebuke, Lord, at the blast of your breath from your nostrils. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I was so lost in that song, Margaret, that I stood up too early. Um, Thank you for leading us in that. Um, Tonight we have a special guest uh, sharing with us. And she's flown here from uh, the UK, actually from Scotland. So Jordan feels right at home. Feels like he has a companion finally here. Uh, to share uh, life with. She's at St. Andrews right now uh, doing postdoc work in uh, theology, and she is serving currently as the associate director of the Pars Theological Center, which I think she's going to share more with you guys uh, as she comes up. But uh, I had the chance of hearing about uh, Shadi through uh, my friends at First Pres, North Palm Beach, through Ron and different people, and I always wanted to connect with her because she had been coming here for a few years. And then uh, this year, we ended up doing a Zoom and getting to share and, and talk a little bit about her work and what she's been doing. And, and I think she's going to get into some of this stuff. But just as a background, uh, her family is from Iran. And when she was younger, uh, her father was working in ministry and went to the UK to study. And while they were there studying, uh, eight of their friends, uh, family members, like colleagues in the church, uh, essentially were martyred uh, back in Iran. And, um, you know, that is not a thing that 
we often hear about or experience here in the U.S. Um, you may hear about the persecuted church. We do have people here in this country who think the church is persecuted. But uh, what we're talking about tonight is a whole other level of severity of persecution. Uh, in fact, in our church in particular here at Providencia, uh, we actually have a lot of people who've been hurt by the church and that actually find our church and come here and this ends up being a place of healing for them. Um, but there are people, you know, in the world who are fleeing to the church as a place where they are finding safety and comfort um, and they're fleeing from things that are very unsafe. Uh, and it's a huge risk to do so. Um, but I'm just so grateful that she could be here. She's been here for three weeks traveling. Uh, her first stop was at First Pres Orlando, which is another church that supports us and our work here. Uh, and then she was at First Pres North Palm Beach this morning. But without further ado, would you please put your hands together and welcome Shadi up here? Thank you so much. It's so great to be here. I should make a correction. I think you said I was doing postdoc studies. I'm doing postgrad studies. So in case, in case anyone thinks I've already got a doctorate, I don't. Um, it's such a privilege to be with you today. Um, it's such a joy to have this opportunity to worship with you and enjoy rich fellowship together. Thank you for your warm welcome. Um, I'm just going to move this. Okay. Sorry. Okay, I don't know if any of you recognize this painting. Does anyone recognize this? Show of hands. Okay, so this is The Scream by Edvard Munch, a Norwegian artist. The Scream is, according to many, the second most famous or most recognized painting in the world. The first being the Mona Lisa, as you can imagine. Ever since this was painted in 1893, the scream has frequently popped up in our public imagination in the West. This is it on the cover of Time magazine in the 60s, um, picked up later in Home Alone, and of course in The Simpsons. And after going out of copyright in 2014, the scream can be found anywhere on t-shirts, socks, tote bags, key fobs, and there's even a scream emoji that I'm sure you're all familiar with. A few years ago, I went to an exhibition of Munch's work at the British Museum and found myself intrigued by his writing on the experience that led him to paint this particular painting. This is what he writes. I went along the road with two friends. It was sunset. Suddenly the sky became blood and I felt the breath of sadness. I stopped, leaned against the fence, deathly tired. 
Clouds over the Freud dripped reeking blood. My friends went on, but I just stood trembling with an open wound in my breast. I heard an extraordinary scream pass through nature. According to one art critic that works for the BBC, what so many identify with in this painting is the way in which Munch presents, if we can go to the next slide, in the, the way in which Munch presents man cut loose from all the certainties that had comforted him up until that point in the 19th century. There is no God now. Just poor man in a moment of existential crisis, facing a universe he doesn't understand and can only relate to in a feeling of powerlessness. A feeling of powerlessness. I wonder what you make of that. I wonder if you would agree that that is a universal feeling of our time. None of us need telling that we are living in turbulent times, that Ukraine is being destroyed in front of our very eyes, that there's a possibility of a world-engulfing nuclear war hanging in the background, that many countries in the West are in the brink of financial collapse, and that's not to mention all our own personal struggles with sickness, loss, abuse, loneliness, anxiety, addiction, and the list goes on. It seems painfully obvious that despite all our human efforts, all our efforts, that we have found that if we're really honest with ourselves, we are indeed powerless. That in fact, we seem to be utterly powerless when it matters to us the most. For myself, I've often wondered, how is it possible to actually live with this sense of powerlessness? How are we to cope or bear with the idea that no matter what we do, we are not powerful enough to be who we want to be, to feel what we want to feel, to save ourselves and those we love. How are we to live with that reality? And what I found is many of us deal with our powerlessness usually in one of two ways. The first is to choose to believe that we're not as powerless as we really are to slip into an illusion, into a false confidence that says if we merely gather the right emotional, intellectual, sexual, financial resources, then we do have the power. And so we deal with our powerlessness by asserting our independence. Little Miss realizing no one can save or rescue her except herself. This is on the Holistic Psychologist Instagram page, which I actually love, but um, this is the stuff that it says. Another way we often cope with our powerlessness is to escape, to withdraw, or to disconnect when life feels too broken and our lack of power to fix things becomes unbearable. 
One of the most popular TV programs of the last decade is a provocative portrayal of this very coping mechanism. It's about a young woman who is overwhelmed with life. She has a complicated relationship with her family. She seems unable to find a long-term partner. Someone close to her has passed away and her business is failing. The main character responds to moments of profound stress and powerlessness by disassociating. And as the viewer, we see her disassociating when in the deepest, heaviest moments of her life, she turns to the camera, to the viewer, and makes a dark joke or a cynical quip about what's going on, numbing herself to what she's experiencing. This is kind of called breaking the fourth wall in TV. And though it's these moments that make for brilliant comedy, what it reveals is something very sobering, that she's unable to remain present in serious moments of her life because her sense of powerlessness is overwhelming her. The only thing she can do is to mock herself from afar, use irony and disassociate. I don't know which of these two responses to our powerlessness you most resonate with. I know that for myself, I oscillate between the two. And so I've been asking, what then does it look like to dare to face the deeper truth of our creaturely powerlessness and yet not be paralyzed or crushed by the limits of who we are? And what I found in Psalm 18, David's beautiful song of praise, are important truths about God that can help us as we reflect on this question. In this song that was beautifully read to us, David, the king of Israel, shares about a time in his life when he was in the most frightening of circumstances, terrified and utterly powerless. Saul was chasing after him, seeking to kill him. So David ends up fleeing to the wilderness, spending a long time in hiding, feeling hopeless and abandoned. He describes this experience as the cords of death entangling him, destruction overwhelming him, the cords of, grave, of the grave coiling around him and the snares of death confronting him the peak of creaturely powerlessness, confrontation with death. But then David testifies to something very simple, that although he was powerless, someone came to his rescue who isn't powerless. And not only is this person not powerless, but David testifies that this person is more powerful than the earth and the sea, than earthquakes and thunder. He is more powerful than death. He is the almighty, all-powerful creator God of the universe. David testifies saying, this God came after me with power and glory and he delivered me. Earthquakes, thunder, storms, and lightning. 
with these images, David is saying that the God who came to save him is the same God who delivered the people of Israel from their slavery in Egypt. The God who parted the seas for his ancestors is the same God who now parts the heavens to save David, as we read in verse 9. This is Yahweh, the great I am, the God of Abraham and Moses, the God of Israel. David then gives more vivid descriptions of this God, if we can just stay on this slide. And he says, smoke rose from this God's nostrils, consuming fire came from his mouth, burning coals blazed out of it. And the description goes on. David goes at great lengths to say that this God's power is not like anything you can think or imagine. His power is not equivalent to yours or mine times 100. This power is of a different kind. Even the most powerful human being would need to negotiate to achieve his goals. Even the most powerful human being would discover what they could do through trial and error, would experience setbacks and obstacles. But this God's very presence has power. This God need only breathe and things happen. This God's, um, this God's power is not anything that we can understand or measure, and yet there is nothing more real than the reality of his saving power. There is nothing more real than the reality of God's saving power. Now, you might be listening to this and thinking to yourself, so what? What does it matter that God has power? I know that I've often been in a difficult time and somehow the reminder of God's power feels irrelevant to me. Somehow it isn't quite what I want to hear. What I want to hear and what I'm looking for is sympathy. In the words of psychology today, I don't need to be fixed. I am allowed to fall apart. What I need is to be held and loved. What I need to, is to be heard. And of course, this is completely true. We do need sympathy. We do need comfort. And when it comes to our fellow human beings, they cannot fix things for us. But I wonder if it's possible that in our sympathetic culture, we are in danger of often not seeing the size of the problem that we are in. That sympathy can only go so far as important as it is, and that we do need someone with the power to do what we cannot do for ourselves. The Song of David, this Song of David offers good news that though we may not have the power to save ourselves, there is one who is big enough, strong enough, and powerful enough to save you and to save me. So firstly, God has saving power, but can we trust this God? Yes, he has saving power, but not all who are powerful are trustworthy. How do we know that this power is not used to oppress and control us, but it is used for our rescue and flourishing? What we find in this psalm is that David testifies not only to God's saving power, but to God's saving love. 
in verse 19, David says, God rescued me because he delighted in me. In verse 50, at the very end of the psalm, David declares that God shows unfailing love to the anointed, to David and his descendants forever. Unfailing love forever. One of the things I find most staggering about this psalm of David is his repeated use of the first, first person pronoun. David declares that this transcendent almighty God with all his power and glory came to save me. He heard my voice. My cry came before him. He reached down on, from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He delighted in me. In some circles, it's become trendy to only emphasize the corporate, communal, or cosmic scope of God's power and rescue. And, that, and while that is true, I wonder sometimes if we are in danger of missing the importance of testimonies like David and many others in the Bible who say that God is coming after me. He is personally involved in my life. That God is a father who parts the heavens for saving one lost son and one lost daughter. That he's the good shepherd that goes after that one lost sheep. That he's committed to me at a deeply personal level. And that this isn't some cheap God is my boyfriend spirituality. No, God doesn't stand at a distance. Throughout the Bible, we see testimony after testimony of people saying, Yahweh the great I am is committed to me. He cares about the unique details and intricacies of my life. He is for me and he is for you. He has seen you from all eternity as precious in his eyes. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Psalm 23, verse 6. It says, surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. Surely goodness and love will follow me. Just think about that image for a moment. It's not us going after goodness and love like we so often think is our job. No, it's saying goodness and love are running after me. Goodness and love personify God himself coming after me, coming after us. And this is what David is declaring in Psalm 18, that this God who has saving power, he came after me with love and goodness, not because of any agenda, not because he needed something for me, not because he wanted to use me for something. No, because he simply delighted in me. David is saying the most important, powerful person in the world knows everything about me and you, everything the good, the bad, the ugly, and yet he looks at you with love. He sees more beauty and grace and dignity in you than you can ever imagine. And that nothing you can do can change or remove his seal of approval saying, I love you, I delight in you, I am for you. God 
has saving power. God has saving love. I don't know what situation you find yourself in today. Perhaps you are in a difficult situation and you feel stuck and powerless. And God has not showed up the way you wanted him to. He has not rescued you in the way you had hoped and there is distance and dissonance. God seems small to you. His love seems inadequate to you. What I found most profound in this psalm is that it isn't simply a testimony of David's rescue, but it's also the testimony of your rescue and my rescue. At the start of the psalm, we read that David sings to the person whom he calls the director of music, or in some translations, the great musician. A thousand years, around a thousand years after David's reign, after this song, the Gospels write that this great musician enters into Jerusalem as the crowds shout, Hosanna to the son of David. And that this son of David enters into the cords of death, the snares of evil, just like his ancestor David did. Like David, he called out to the father for help. And like David, he went into deep waters and then was powerfully and gloriously brought back to life. This anointed son of David um, enters our powerlessness and by doing so rescues us all. In the cross, we see that God is saving power, that he is saving love. As the famous um, English author once said, the most essential thing God does in time, in all of human history, is to be that man in the crowd, a man under arrest and on his way to our common catastrophe. God saves by entering our catastrophe, by entering our powerlessness. Is the cross of Jesus Christ powerful enough to save you? Or is it, as one famous atheist once said, petty, small-minded, and impotent? Is the cross of Jesus Christ powerful enough to save you? One of the most evocative images of this psalm that we read is the 19th verse. It says, he brought me out into a spacious place at the very end there. He brought me out into a spacious place. God's saving work is not yet completed in our lives. But as we wait to the day until God puts all things right, we are invited to enjoy the freedom of this spacious place. This is a broad place. It is the freedom and the capaciousness that comes with dependence on God's power. It's the recognition that, yes, I am powerless, but God isn't. I feel stuck, I feel overwhelmed, but I can trust God and I can live in dependence upon him. 
I have the privilege to work with a ministry that serves the underground church in Iran. Iran, I don't know if many of you know, is, is currently hosting the fastest growing church in the world. And the ministry that I'm a part, a part of is serving many young men and women of God, providing them theological education, mentoring, and counseling. We're currently working with 500, just over 500 students, and they are some of the most courageous and resilient people that I've ever met. They find themselves in the most difficult of situations. They find themselves in situations where they are utterly powerless. And yet they've accepted the invitation of living in this broad and spacious place. This place of living every day in dependence on God and his power. Many of the students we work with have been arrested at some point and put into prison for sentences of 10 to 20 years. One pastor who is currently in prison, serving a 10-year prison sentence, wrote this in a letter that came out. I'm just going to read um, the second paragraph. Oh, these are some of the um, photos of them. Um, is there another... Yes, I'm just going to read um, the last bit. He says, I thank God in joy and peace for considering me worthy to be here because of my faith and witness to Jesus Christ. I trust the almighty God who is able to bring the dead to life and I eagerly await his return. He can preserve me and keep me firm. This is a pastor, Nasser, with children, who, children who have lost a father. He is in a prison cell as I speak here today. But there are many, many others like him. People that we have so much to learn from. People who are living every day in dependence upon God's power and love. Do we dare to accept the invitation of entering this broad place with Nasser and many persecuted brothers and sisters in Iran. Do we dare to enter that broad place, that space of dependence on God's power and not our own power because we are powerless? When we do so, we can with the psalmist declare, the Lord is my strength, my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. He is the one in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation. Let's pray. Thanks for joining us for this episode. The work we do is made possible by your partnership and generosity. If you enjoyed the content and would like to support our work, please visit ProvidenciaWPB.org and click on the Give link. The music you hear in the beginning and end of our show was written, produced, and recorded by our music collective, Paradise Hymns. Find their original songs wherever you stream music. Thanks again, and have a blessed day.